Would you turn with me to the book of 1 John chapter 3? 1 John chapter 3. Um, when I was, I was saved in high school and I was growing up um, back in my home church where I'm from. And I remember there was this family there that I really looked up to. They were godly. They were a godly family. They, the mom and the dad, they served faithfully at the local church there. And their kids, for all in, intents and purposes, they seem to be uh, very obedient and follow what their parents said. And it, and it shocked me because there was, where, there was times as the gospel was going forth and um, in my home church, I, I have the benefit and the blessing of coming from a church that is very, very clear with the gospel. Very, very clear what a Christian is and what a Christian is not. And so when that preaching, as, as the scriptures teach it, when that preaching goes forth, it quickly divides. And it quickly unveils. And it quickly gets under the skin of those who are saved and those who are not saved. And I remember distinctly when I was with one of my friends, I, he came up to me and I was shocked. He was doing things around the church. He was helping in the sound. He was helping, you know, put the microphone cables away and put them up and uh, tear down and set up just like what we have here. It was a pretty small church when we, when we first started. And I remember he said, Angelo, could I talk to you? And, you know, I'm just this rough Christian who just got saved. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't know there were 66 books in the Bible. I, I couldn't even find my way to the book of Romans. I had to look at the New Testament t uh, table of contents. I was just raw, right? And he said, and he was kind of like his lip was vibrating. And I was looking at him, and he was a good friend of mine. And he said, you know, I don't think I'm saved. I don't think I know Jesus. I think I'm just doing all these things and I'm, I've been deceiving myself. And the first, that was the first time it shocked me because you would think you go to church, you're a Christian, but that's not necessarily the case. And in fact, that's actually a deception we lie to ourselves with. Oh, I got wet in baptism, I'm, I'm saved. Or, oh, I go to this church, I'm saved. Or, oh, I raised my hand. Sadly, many churches won't teach this because it's very, very divisive. But it's what God teaches in his scriptures, and so we have to go through it. And my prayer is that we would really consider what the text is saying, each of us, not what someone else would think of it or what this person needs to hear this sermon kind of thing, but my own heart, where am I with this? See, God desires that you clearly discern, clearly, where you stand with Him. He doesn't want you to be in the dark regarding your salvation and your relationship to Him. That is precisely why He gave this book to us. I know I've read this, but I want you to go look at 1 John chapter 5. And I want, I want to read the thesis statement of John. Under the auspices of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is allowing him to write this. And in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, 
he tells us very clearly why he's writing this letter. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Very clearly, God desires for you to know whether or not you are truly saved. In fact, he wrote a whole book about it for you. If you are, then rejoice and live out this salvation. If you are not, then you would turn to Christ and call out for his mercy to save you. The text this morning will help you to discern your spiritual condition. It is a litmus test. It is a, I'm looking at scripture and I'm looking at my life and things are not jiving. Things are not looking like what the text is saying. And so, with that in mind, would you read the text with me this morning? 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. It says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God nor the one who does not love his brother. God gave this passage to you this morning so you would examine your life rightly and trust in Christ for your salvation. This is a gentle and loving warning to you. He desires that you examine your life, not the life of your mom and dad, not the life of your friends or not the life of other people, your life. This text asks the question, and it's been asking the question through the whole book, but this is in clearer and more stark terms. Are you a Christian? Are you truly saved or have you fooled yourself? Have you bought into the lie that since I grew up in a Christian family that I must automatically be one? Are you creating a false Christianity that you can fit into so that you could rationalize the fact that you don't really live for Christ? Maybe you created your own Christianity, you created your own Christ of what a Christian's life is supposed to look like because you don't want to really follow what the Word of God says. In this passage, God outlines why a Christian cannot stay in unrepentant and habitual sin. He, she cannot stay in unrepentant 
habitual sin. You may get dirty, but you hate the mud when it's on you. This is unrepentant and habitual sin. Notice this is what the text is saying. Christians can and still do sin heinously. Yes, they do. But a Christian cannot stay in unrepentant and habitual sin. See the difference? You may sin in instance, but to live a life that is devoid of God, devoid of Christ's lordship over your life, is what historically has always been. You are not saved. One theologian said it this way, bad theology damns, and bad behavior reveals bad theology. Your life, if it is devoid of the power of Christ, devoid of the saving power and the saving authority of Christ, reveals what you really are. And this is not said to simply scare you. This is said in love. Notice John always says, beloved, beloved little children. He is saying this so you would turn to Christ. Not that you would delay any longer. Through this, you could examine your life in comparison to what God says a Christian is. To do that, God gives three explanations. Three explanations why a Christian cannot stay in habitual and unrepentant sin. These three explanations will help to examine your own life and see if they are true or if they are not true of you. So that you would be warned to turn to Christ. Please, please, please listen. Please listen. The first explanation is this from verse 4. The Christian cannot stay in sin because it goes against God's law. The Christian cannot stay in sin because it goes against God's law. Again, the Christian may sin. There are instances of sin. There's a remnant of sin. That's what the Bible teaches. But you cannot stay in sin because you know that what God has commanded is authoritative and you are violating his moral law, his moral requirement. He says here in chapter 3, verse 4, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. Notice he's very careful. John is saying practices. If you notice in... 1 John chapter 2 and verse, um, verse 1, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. There's the warning. And if anyone sins in the instance. So he's talking about instances of sin in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So the Christian will sin in instances. But now he's changing the whole category. And he says, Everyone who practices sin. The word is not really even in the text, practices. It's actually the sinning one. The one who is in constant sin. He uses a present participle to discuss or de describe this person. This is a person who is doing sin, maybe you would say. Making sin. It's a person who is characteristic. It's a person who, if you were to look at their life, 
If you were kind of like a drone following them around, you would see no evidence of Christ, no evidence of them praying, or no evidence of them desiring to follow God, desiring to fellowship with His people. The Bible would say that person is in sin. It doesn't have to be murder. It doesn't have to be adultery. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be um, uh, stealing or theft. It doesn't have to be greed. It could just simply be a life devoid of the Spirit of God. A life devoid of the authority of Christ. The word there for sin simply means missing the mark. It means a departure of what doing what is right. It is a moral failure. And so this is a person who constantly, who characteristically will not open their Bible because they don't want to hear what God has to say. Because in the Bible contains what? The law. It is a person who characteristically does not take into account what God has to say about the matter. I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to do this decision. I'm going to do this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to react in this way. It is someone who just doesn't care. They may feel the pangs in their consciousness because they know they are violating God has placed a conscience in your heart. But it is someone who just does not want to bow underneath the law of God. And then he says it's everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. The word there for lawlessness, it means an, an utter disregard for God's requirements. I, I just don't care what God says. It's a contempt or a violation of law. It's what you see in the protests when people are foul-mouthed and they have foul signs, disgusting signs. And you share a scripture with them and they say, I don't give a bleep, bleep, bleep about what that says. That is a bleep, bleep. And they just cuss and cuss over what the word of God says. It is an utter disregard and a contempt. Sometimes this can be bubbling in someone until the pressure comes. And then it's revealed they don't really have a respect for the word of God at all what God has called them to be. They've just been play acting. And so John is addressing the folks who are acting. See, Jesus condemns those who have a contempt for the law. In Matthew chapter 7, if you would read with me in Matthew chapter 7, he says here in Matthew chapter 7, And this is the same consistent teaching all through the scriptures. You don't lose your salvation. You're not saved one day, and then because you sin, you lose your salvation. The Bible says once you're saved, you're always saved. But what the Bible says is if you truly are saved, you are truly changed. Your life is markedly different. And so Jesus is, is, is warning people to flee to him. Because this is what's going to happen. The most terrifying words in all of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. These are folks. Now listen, John is addressing the same folks, the same religious people. Okay, These are religious people. These aren't people who, uh, who are always drunk and always in uh, carousing and reviling. These are religious people. He's talking to 
nice families, in nice houses, in nice neighborhoods, who go to nice churches in their nice cars. He's talking to them because these are people who say, Lord, Lord. Look at chapter 7, verse 21. Lord, Lord. These are religious. They have a feigned obedience to Christ. Oh, I called you Lord. Oh, you're Jesus. Oh, you're the, my Savior. You're my salvation. And Jesus is saying this. Notice, not everyone who says that. Huh. Let's reel it back. Not everyone who says they are a Christian is getting in. That is what Jesus is saying. Okay. And he doesn't say this to terrify you and then you're lost without hope. He says this so you would run to him and take his call seriously. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. If you have, in fact, been saved, your life has been changed such that you know that when the Bible speaks, you have to obey God, not man's traditions, not man's culture, not man's, not people's expectation of you. When you read the scriptures, you know, if I don't do this, I'm disobeying God. Many will say to me on that day, like my friend did, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name, cast out demons, and in your name, perform many, many miracles? God, didn't I do this for you? And didn't I go to that camp? And didn't I go to that retreat? And didn't I do... This, didn't I set up the chairs here? And didn't I prepare this? And Jesus does not even address that because it doesn't even come into the picture. He says, verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. And then notice what marks them, these clean, religious, we could say suburban, we could say with nice cars and a nice family. Notice what he says. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Can you go to church and be lawless? Yes. You can play church. You can play church. But to the Christian, the law is a different different uh, delight now. What has happened is when you come to Christ, and this is, why, this is why all kinds of outside change do not work. If you try and change someone's behavior without a spiritual renewal, you will be running into, you'll be heading, uh, bumping your head into the wall. You can't change folks unless it's a change from the inside out, not the outside in. God has to renew their heart. And this is what happens to a person who has changed. They have a different attitude towards the law of God. Look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Verse 7, I'll start from verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, 
restoring the souls. God's word restores souls. Notice he says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Notice he says here, verse 8, it's perfect, it restores my soul. The Christian knows I need to get back into word. I've sinned, I've messed up, I need to get back, I need my soul restored. The Christian knows this, notice, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. When I am in my right mind and in the word of God, I am rejoicing. I am happy in the Lord. You know you are your right self when you are rejoicing in the word of God. Here is where you see beauty. Not in what is being sold online, right? Not as what is being sold in the news. Here is where you see beauty and truth and integrity. And so your heart soars now. Notice verse 10. They're more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold. I actually want the word of God more than money. I actually desire to be in his word more than money. He says here, sweeter also than a honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. My dad, uh, my dad uh, brought some honeycombs Fresh out, fresh off of a, out of a nest, he he brought it on the plane and somehow got it to me. And my kids never had honeycomb before. And I remember I tried to explain it to them. My wife and I were trying to explain it to them before the honeycomb came, and we would say, "Man, it's just, it's just sweet." Have you guys ever done that? Chewed on a honeycomb. It's just sweet, and, and you chew on the wax, and then spit the wax out, but then when you chew it, the, the natural honey, it just bursts in your mouth, and you feel like, man, it is just so tasty. And they were saying, what's it like? What's it like? Well, it's, is it like sugar? Well, it's kind of like sugar, it's, but no, it's so much better. Is it like, a, is it like a, the honey that's store-bought? It's, it tastes like it, but there's just this, this distinctive flavor to it. It's this natural, sweet, delicious flavor. And so when the honey came, they saw it. They go, what is that? So we broke off a piece, and I gave some to each of the kids. And they're going, oh, man, that is so sweet. That's so good. It's like, it's like good. <laughs> okay, what do you mean? It's like it's, it's really good, right? So you can't even explain it, right? All right. The Christian, when he looks upon the word of God, he knows it is food for his soul. He knows that it is sweet, that it is true, that what God says needs to apply to my life and I need to obey it. It is no longer bitter. It is sweet. You want to do? You want to do what pleases him now. 
your heart has been so changed. And you you and even even when I sit even as I stand here today, I I am still amazed how God has done a work in even in my life and in your lives, how He has changed sinful people who love and run to sin. He has removed that heart, given us new hearts that want the pure honey of His Word. You see, Christians, a Christian desires this. Psalm 40 says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. I delight. It's my pleasure. Oh, I want to just even woo you with this pleasure. It is a pleasure to serve the God of the Most High. It is a pleasure to expend myself. It is a pleasure to obey Him. Only the Christian knows this. Now the question is, do you know this? Do you know this sweetness if you don't? Come on, come on to this side. Taste the honey for yourself. If you say, I've tasted it and it, and it, did, it doesn't taste sweet to me, you haven't really tasted Christ on his own terms. You made a deal. You made a bargain with him. Come to Christ. He is sweeter. He is the sweetest of lilies. He is sweeter than honey. He is a friend who will never leave you. So the Christian cannot stay in sin because it goes against God's law. Secondly, the Christian cannot stay in sin because it goes against Christ's work. It goes against Christ's work. Verses 5 to 8. Verses 5 to 8 in 1 John. Go back there with me. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5 it says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. This work, he says, you know this. He appeared in order to take away sins. This was his mission. What's, what's astounding is sometimes when we read this text, we think, oh, Jesus came only to forgive me. Or Jesus came only to redeem me from the penalty of sin. Or Jesus came only to grant me forgiveness. That is good and that is right and that is sweet. But it is far beyond that, brothers and sisters. He came to free you today from the dominion of sin. I'm no longer a slave. I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to bow to that anymore. I've been set free. Have you been set free? He says he came in order to take away sins. We know that. 1 Timothy says it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And he describes this qualified person to do it. He says, the person, and in him there is no sin. Jesus had to be sinless to free us from sin. If he was sinful, okay, We'd still have the curse upon us, right? We needed a sinless one. The Bible says all over the, all over the text that Jesus is sinless. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 says, We do not have a high priest, that is Christ, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, 
He made him who knew no sin. He had no acquaintance of sin. He did not do sin. He was not affected by sin on our behalf that he might, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, this part of the text in chapter 3 and verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. In him there is no sins. This is based on his mission and on his character. And what he is saying here is if you are not freed from sin's domination, then Christ failed. That is not true at all. Why? Because the Christ who saves is the Christ who changes all the time. If he can't, if he can't, if he could save you and not change you, he is not a powerful God. He's not a God that is worthy of worship. He can change you now, brothers and sisters. He can change you now, the one who is seeking after him. He can change you now. Give him. Give him full reign in your life. Now, notice in verse 6, he says, No one who abides in him sins. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or know him. Notice, he says here, if you are abiding or remaining in sin, you keep doing it, now he's saying it in another way, you don't know him. You have not even seen him. You have no relationship with God. In fact, when you say, I know Jesus, you're a liar. No, you don't. Paul talks about this. I have to read this verse to you. Go to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And he reads, he, he explains this, this self-deception, okay? Where people lie to themselves and they say they're saved. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Notice verse 16. Look at this. It can happen. He says here, they profess to know God. That is, they say, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. I'm saved. Notice, what is the verification? He says here, by their deeds, they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Notice, their mouths, they say, I'm a Christian. Their lives, they say, they are not. They are not. It's uh, amazing sometimes when you when you're working for corporations and you and you go into the go into the office. A lot of times they, if they know you're a Christian, they don't want you to bring your Christianity into the office. Right? They don't want you to be a holistic person who's Christian inside and outside of the office. Okay? They don't want to hear it. But when you sin, oh, they love to say, aren't you a Christian, right? Or aren't you a Christian? Well, well, well I, thought you, I thought you told me you didn't want me to be a Christian. And then they say, aren't you a Christian? You should, have, you should have done better than that. See, the thing is, even the world knows, guys, even the world knows that we're supposed to be operating at a different level. Because if our heart has been changed, we should be obeying him living righteously, desiring holiness. Even the world knows. 
Why are there churches that teach that you can be a Christian and live any way you want? It's beyond me. It's beyond what the scripture is saying. This is not popular. This is, I know this is not a popular teaching. He says, little children, verse 7, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. What is he talking about? Let's, let's just, just contemplate this. He's talking about people saying that you can be saved and live any way you want. He's saying people are going to lie to you. That's what deceive means. They're going to lie to you. They're going to change the theology. They're going to tell you something different. And this happens in the church. Folks will come in the church and say, oh, they're saved. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't talk to them about it. And all the while, you know they're not living for Christ. There's no heart for Christ. They don't want the word of God. They don't want to be around other Christians. They don't desire God. And you never have the talk with them. Because they're okay. It's sad to say that there are many who will be coming to Many churches where they should be hearing the clear gospel and they never question whether or not they're saved and they're going to hell. Christianity will be watered down. A brand of, Christian, a brand of Christianity that is nowhere near what Scripture teaches that God actually does change a life. You're not perfect. You're not sinless. You will struggle with sin. You will not stay in sin. That's what a Christian is. See, deception comes from within the church. That's why he says, do not be deceived. Sometimes it's willfully, sometimes it's not. Why? You got to think about this. Why will people want to hear a different kind of gospel where they won't change? Why would they want to hear that? It lessens the demands on them. It lowers accountability. This is what, this is why... A lot of churches, they desire to grow big crowds, but they don't teach the clear gospel. And they have people who are hurtling to hell without hearing the clear gospel. It's damning. To lower accountability, I have to say this, okay? To increase attendance. Yes. Yes. They don't want to offend. The biggest so-called church in the world is in Houston. Joel Osteen. He will not talk about sin. In fact, if you listen to his interview on Larry King, Larry King asks him straight up, what happens if you don't know Christ? And he goes, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Do not be deceived. We, brothers and sisters, cannot be ambiguous or cloudy, foggy with the gospel. The gospel must be the same gospel that changes. Amen? And sadly, I'll have to say this. i got to say this. That churches who will not teach the clear gospel, who will not teach the demands of the gospel, it's absolutely free, but when you are saved, he is yours. You are his. Right? 
A lot of times the churches will like to teach on this. A soft uh, kind of Christianity where you don't have to live it out. You don't have to be committed to a church. You don't have to be committed to one another. That kind of a Christianity. They do that so that they could have more money. The more people, the more money. And so what happens is this weird kind of relationship where the preacher won't say what the word of God says because they don't want to offend those who are coming to the church and giving in their coffers. In fact, the preacher then becomes a paid servant of someone who wants to hear what they want to hear. They don't want to hear they're in sin. They don't want to hear they're in trouble. They don't want to hear the clear gospel. And so they keep paying, and the preacher knows that he comes to the pulpit, and he knows if I say this, it's going to offend that guy. If I say this, it's going to offend that guy. So he doesn't say it. All the while, responsibility of souls are on his head because he didn't preach the clear gospel. Brothers and sisters, let's not prostitute ourselves. We are called to declare the oracles of God and to call people to repentance. And if you do whatever people say simply because you want them to be in the congregation, you have prostituted yourself to them. Now, the conscience is pricked. They don't want to have to deal with it. Yet Jesus says in Mark 8, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That is a changed life. That is not, oh, I'm a Christian on Sunday, and I do whatever I want. I'm going to go partying, go clubbing, I'm going to just do whatever I want. And then on Sunday, I'll, I'll, put on, I'll put on the nice shirt and I'll go to church. Many churches teach that Christ can be added to your life. Friends, Christ will not take second fiddle to anyone. He will not be a corporal. He is the high general. He's not added to your life. He is your life if you are a Christian. Now, the one who practices righteous, righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. You are of Christ. And it says the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. Again, he uses the participle. It is a characteristic of life. You live this way. And then he says, is of the devil. And he says, for the devil sinned from the beginning. He's probably talking about when the devil first rebelled against God saying he wants to be like the Most High. And then he says, and this is beautiful, okay? The Son of God appeared for this purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. He came to deal with sin. He didn't come to better your financial life. He didn't come so that you could control your positive thinking and will it to be so. He didn't come so you could have a nice house and nice cars and nice behaving children. He didn't come for that. He, came, he didn't come so that he can help you fulfill your mission in life. He came to destroy the works of the devil, to free his people from their sin so they would not destroy themselves and hurl into hell. 
How far does the church veer when she forgets Christ's central focus? He came to destroy the works of the devil to give glory to God. He destroyed the works of the devil. What are the works? One commentator says it this way. The works of the devil encompasses various satanic activities, such as instigating sin and rebellion, tempting believers, inspiring unbiblical ideologies and false religions, persecuting and accusing believers, instigating the work of false teachers, and wielding the power of death. He has taken all of that and he has put it under his feet. Oh, I, I celebrate. I'm too ashamed to talk about the sins that I, I did before. But I celebrate that I'm free. Are you free? Are you free? Are you free? Now, the Christian cannot stay in sin because it goes... Against God's law, the Christian cannot stay in sin because it goes against Christ's work. And lastly, the Christian cannot stay in sin because it goes against the Holy Spirit's rebirth. Because it goes against the Holy Spirit's rebirth, verses 9 and 10. No one who is born of God practices sin. Again, he says this, and now he's using the born of God language. This is what we call regeneration. It is when the Holy Spirit, because you have stepped out in faith, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and He renews, He recreates, He gives life to your will, to your heart, your emotions, and to your volition, your decisions. He renews all of that. That is called regeneration. He talks about it in John chapter 3. You can't even see the kingdom of God unless you are born of, born of God, Nicodemus. And he says, because his seed abides in him, he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, there are other texts I want to show you. Um, let me just read Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He says, and this talks about regeneration. He saved us. No, why don't we go there? Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, He saved us. Oh. Sweet. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done. You can't earn it. You can't do this. You can't go to church so many times that it's going to save you. Okay? He saved you, but according to his mercy, right? And then he says, By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. What God has done is he has come into your life and he has come upon your heart and he has washed it. And you know and you've experienced this. The things you hate, now you love. The things you love, now you hate. You love righteousness and you hate sin. Now, he says it, he, he uses the term also in 1 Peter chapter 1. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, and he talks about the new birth, and now he's talking about 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice in verse 22, notice what he says. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another. In verse 23, he's going to say, why should you love one another? What gives you the desire? What gives you the heart to love one another? 
to fervently love one another. For you have been born again. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So it's because God's spirit has placed his seed in you. He has saved you. He has regenerated you. The word there for seed in 1 John is an imagery of God's work in regeneration by the Holy Spirit. His nature now is in you, right? You now share in some of his communicable attributes. You now love. You have faith. You, you, you now uh, desire for the goodness of people. You desire to do good to them. And lastly, go back to 1 John. In 1 John chapter 3. And now he's closing it off. And we hear these sober words, okay? By this, what's this? This teaching. Teaching of what? That a person who is saved follows righteousness. A person who is not saved follows sin. He says, by this, okay? Not by confession, by their lives, okay? Not by confession, not by altar calls, not by even getting baptized, not by even becoming a church member, not by going to home group. He says, by this, how is your life? He says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil, you know, it's not clear, it's ambiguous, I don't know. He says, are obvious. Where is this in Christianity now? Well, you know, they're kind of saved, but, you know, they're just not walking. How long has it been? 30 years? He's not saved. Why do you say he's saved? If you keep saying he's saved, he's not going to think about it. He's not going to question it. It's obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who who does not love his brother, and he's going to talk about loving his brother, but he's first is addressing righteousness. Now, the Christian cannot stay in sin because it goes against God's law. The Christian cannot stay in sin because it goes against Christ's work. The Christian cannot stay in sin because it goes against the Spirit's rebirth. Now, as we end, I just, just please, please consider this. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you in here? Where are you? He's loving enough to let you know if you've deceived yourself from this text. Is the Christian life one that you live or is it not? Because it's obvious. Is your life what's matched up in Scripture, or is it not? Because it's obvious. Where are you? Run to him. He will take you. He will change you. He will soften your heart. He will give you a new one. Run to him. Don't fight him. Father, thank you that we could run and trust in you. Thank you that you are holy and just. Father, thank you that we can rely on you to grow the effects of the gospel.
Oh God, if there's someone there who's thinking about these things and it has weighed heavy on his or her heart, oh Lord, save them. Change them. Make this today the day they get saved, God. It doesn't matter if they were deceived in the past. It doesn't matter if they were fooling people in the past. What matters is now. Where are they with you now? Oh, you will receive them. Oh, turn to him. Oh, God, don't let them get rest. Outside of you, may they only have rest in Christ. Thank you for this Lord's Day. Help us to sing. In Jesus' name, amen.